And a big welcome back to the Endurance Hour podcast, episode 387. Uh, back alongside Kona coach Wendy Mater, Dave Erickson here. Glad to have you with us this week. We have uh, some questions from viewers uh, and listeners, both from the T2 Endurance Club on Facebook, as well as emails and uh, some of our athletes that we coach. We're going to begin with Jace, who writes to Wendy. Hi, Wendy. My wife recently purchased your couch to Ironman 70.3 program on Training Peaks. Great job. I would like to find a training plan that is similar in structure, but maybe at the intermediate level. Oh, Jace has asked the right question. Coach Wendy, we've got plenty of options for Jace. Go ahead and take it away. Yeah, so it was an interesting question because I wasn't sure if he was asking about coaching or the training plans. And then I found out that his wife had purchased the training plan from us. So I've reached out to her and, you know, I just emailed him back with some more information and I let him know that we have couch two, we have beginner advanced plans for the 70.3, 140.6, as well as sprint and Olympic distance. And within each plan, we have a training plan description and suggested kind of like fitness or suggested ideas of where you should be before you start the plan. So for example, one of our plans, you know, we suggest before you start, you, you're able to swim at least a thousand meters. You're able to bike. I think it's about 20 miles and you're able to run. I think it's five or six miles before you even start. So there's definitely some general guidelines that we suggest. It sounds like he just got excited because his wife purchased a plan and he wants to do one too. So Again, some follow-up questions based on his experience, what race he's doing, what what race date is he doing, because we do have 12, 16, 24, and 32-week plans on Training Peaks. Mm -hmm. So there's just a lot of unknown variables right now. So, you know, hopefully with a little bit of email communication and he's able to take some time to view all our plans, we'll be able to figure out the right one for him. So the couch to uh, 70.3 in 24 weeks is maybe what she got. I don't know exactly what she has, uh, but one level above that would be 16 weeks. Uh, and we have a, a plan for that. And then for 12 weeks, which is the most advanced one we have, if you can swim a thousand yards without stopping, if you can bike 40 miles, if you can run eight miles, this is kind of the, what we suggest as a prerequisite uh, before you start this plan with a 12 week lead up to a 70.3 at a higher level meaning you have a strong um, base for you uh, to get there, as opposed to maybe it takes you 24 weeks. And in that case, um, we also describe in here, hey, this plan requires two days of swimming per week, two days on the bike, two days of running, a couple of strength training days, and then it builds to three swims, three bikes, three runs over time, and then you minimize and lower the uh, strength days. But it, it talks in here that you should be able to swim so many meters and yards um, at the 24-week level. It says we only have like 500 yards of swimming nonstop, 30 minutes of biking, two minutes, two miles of running. So that's very low. And that just kind of like, if you can do that, 24 weeks is probably a good plan for you. Right. And a lot of times I get email from athletes saying that they purchased like the couch to Ironman plan, even though they don't feel like they are described as a couch type fitness level. They just like the fact that it's 32 weeks and <laughs> yeah. that 32 week just means it's, it's a very much slower progression. It starts at a very lower volume than our 16 week plan does. So 
again, there's just a lot of variables to determine what plan is right for you. And it could just be, I just want a longer plan. I don't care what it's titled. I just want a 32-week plan relative to a 16-week plan or a 12-week plan. Or it's someone who is cramming and they're like, I don't care if I'm a beginner. I want a 12-week plan. So I'm going to buy that mm-hmm. 12-week plan. So, you know, you just got to take a lot of things into consideration. And Dave and I have also recently put together for 2023 a lot of race-specific training plans. So... I did follow up with Jace on what specific race he's training for because he might want to be get our race specific plan if that happens to be Lake Placid, Chattanooga, California, Florida, Arizona, Arizona. Coeur d'Alene. You ever say Chattanooga? Yeah. 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 We've been busy uh, leading up for the 2023 season for athletes who are preparing for certain events based on their region, based on their bucket list. Uh, it could be a team event. You know, their local triathlon team is gathering and they're all training for it together. Um, that's very helpful. And then to be specific, when what we've done, we kind of want to step above giving you a course preview video. So we've gone over the swim, bike, and run course of that specific event. And fortunately for us, because we've been doing this a long, long time, we've raced some of these events. So we can speak from personal experience. Like I was in that lake or I've been in that downriver swim. I know what the road conditions are on this bike course and here's how you approach this specific two loop run course or three loop run course and here's where your friends and family can watch because it's very spectator friendly that's what we can bring to the table with some of these events that we're making videos for yeah those are all important things to take into consideration especially if this might be your first 70.3 or 140.6 or first triathlon in general if you're going Mm -hmm. with the sprint and olympic distance it's important to know the details of the course and the course layout and if it's spectator friendly and if that's a goal of yours. I've coached athletes who we've talked in depth about various races because one of the primary drivers is it is it they want it to be spectator friendly. So yes. their decision on what course they were going to pick is, was based on spectator friendliness. Yeah. As you recall, what do you remember as one of the most spectator friendly for you? Well, for the, for your family and friends to come watch you and to see you multiple times on the course, you know, Ironman Kona, Mm. I thought, except the bike, well, even the bike course. So I think the, I thought the, the, cause I've been a spectator in Kona as well. And so they, you know, you're able to watch the swim and you can go to various locations on the pier and, and actually just watch the entire swim. You can see people that far binoculars help. Mm -hmm. And then they have what's called a hot spot. So after you see your athlete transition onto the bike, you can go to the Polani Drive hotspot and you can see them on the bike twice, you know, within, you know, maybe a half hour. And then, and then they're out on the Queen K, but there's a way that you can take your car out on the Queen K and see them at the Y Colonian Inn, which is around mile 35. My parents used to do that. So if you got on Saddleback Road, you could go out to the Y Colonian Inn and see your athlete on the Queen K twice if you wanted to wait that long. Mm-hmm. And then again on the run with, you know, the five mile out and back stretch on along Alihi Drive. I thought that was pretty spectator friendly. Just tons yeah. of volunteers. And then if you were like me, when I went to go watch a few athletes I coached, I was I'm an active person. So I was just running all over the course trying to find them on that run course. So that was pretty spectator friendly. Ironman Arizona for sure. It's it's a mm-hmm two versus three loop course. I thought it was pretty spectator friendly. 
and um, um, Augusta 70.3 here in Georgia because you can just watch your swimmer along the, you know, you can walk with them along the pier because it's a point to point river swim, any mm-hmm. point to point river swim is spectator friendly because you can just walk along the shore with them and see them mm-hmm. in transition. But with uh, Augusta, you can't see them on the bike course, but the run course is a two loop in town course. So I thought that was pretty nice. You could see them at various locations, you know, where you're at mile two, the other side might be mile eight. So you could just kind of, you could, as a spectator could kind of cross the street mm-hmm. as your athlete was running around to get to that mile marker. I remember Ironman Texas being pretty spectator friendly on the swim specifically because mm-hmm. it was a point to point and there was a, a narrow canal at the end uh, once they left the the lake area to come back into their first transition. Mm-hmm. And then the the run was very friendly too because it was along a green belt. Yeah. Um, so there was, you know, out and back, you can see them across the way or on either side right. and uh, cut some things off. And then Coeur d'Alene, because it's, it's, it's my local race, I know how friendly that is with the the hot corner of the runs, the run and the bike. Yeah, times. you know, when I went to spectate Coeur d'Alene, I was, you know, in the coffee shop on <laughs> ironmanlive.com on my laptop watching the race online as I was there in person. So that was kind of fun for me. And then I was able to track my athletes so I could run out of the coffee shop and meet them out on the trans- <laughs> yeah. where the transition was from the bike to the run, or I could meet them at various locations on the run course. I also thought Ironman Cozumel because that's a three loop run course to me, that's spectator friendly. I personally did that race and it was always nice to see people every loop, um, that you did on the run course. And it was a point to point swim as well. And they've come a long way with their technology, whether you can watch it on Facebook live, their Ironman tracker is so good for families. They can anticipate where a person may be on the race course and Mm -hmm. meet them there. Uh, cause I know if you have kids or you got maybe older family members who can't get around as easily. Uh, you got, you want to time it where I want you, want you here and here, and this is when I'll be here. Or you uh-huh. can see my update. If I'm ahead of schedule, behind schedule, never know. And then they can just plan their day because it's pretty exhausting to be a spectator at an Ironman distance for sure. Yeah. 70.3 yeah. depends on the weather. It can be a, a long day as well. You know, five to nine hours, 10 hours at the most. Hey, speaking of uh, triathlon plans, uh, we should probably mention that big special since we have only a couple months left in it. It's that all triathlon plans, regardless of distance, whether you go 24 weeks, 36, uh, 24 weeks, 16 weeks, 12 weeks, full distance, half distance, Olympic or sprint, all of our plans for the first three months of 2023, $99 or less. Now, when you go on Training Peaks under Wendy Mater's coaching page, You'll see uh, the plans priced higher, but that's just the posted price. Because you're listening and because we're letting you know, Wendy, those prices are 33% less than what they're posted as. So tell them what, how that breaks down. Right. So if you go to Training Peaks and see the sprint distance price listed as $43, if you enter our special code, you can get that for $29, all the way up to an Ironman, which is listed for $147. But with our 33% off code, you can get that for $99. And then the prices in between for Olympic and half. What a great deal. And people are taking advantage of that. You can, once you get it, it's yours. It's in your calendar and you can move it around. As far as I know, you can move it around and repeat it. Let's say you did the race at a 70.3 level and you want to do it again at a different race. You can just change up and 
see your notes. Okay, now I'm just gonna increase my intensity or increase my duration, whatever it is. I'm gonna go a little faster. I've seen my notes and it's yours for life. So get it at this price now before it goes up in April. So we got a three month special, $99 or less on all the triathlon plans on Training Peaks. Katie from inside our T2 Endurance Group on Facebook, which is a group of 700 plus members. It's always growing. Uh, very, it's an exclusive group because uh, we want to make sure that you're focused on triathlon and sharing in the community and being part of it and actively participating. Uh, Katie writes, regarding flexibility, mobility, and strength, can you suggest some movements I can do on a daily basis? There are some stiffness in my knee as I'm aging. I'm getting stiffer and when is a good time to stretch and for how long? And I know this is going to be the first thing when he says it depends. It does depend. And the reason Katie asked this question is because February, the theme that we have in our Facebook group is flexibility, mobility. And then I added strength to that last month. We, our challenge was doing an iron distance challenge in the month of January. So each move, each month moving forward, I'm trying to come up with a different theme, a focused topic to talk about. So again, it does, it does depend on everyone's circumstances, strength, strength training, flexibility, mobility, is such an important component for athletes to include. And I know there's just so much information out there. It can be very confusing. So I'm hoping that athletes are comfortable asking questions based on the knowledge they have or don't have. And again, in Katie's specific, specific case, she did recently have the PRP injections in her knee. So that's, if you're, if you're, if you have some limitations, such as, such as a surgery or injury, you definitely want to get the advice from your doctor or a physical therapist. And while you're at it, I think the benefit of getting a functional movement screening done, whether you're injured or not, when you get a functional movement screening done by your local professional, usually a physical therapist, maybe a massage therapist or chiropractor can do it as well. Then they're going to determine what type of mobility and core stability movements are specific to you and your limitations based on that screening. So that's really important, especially for someone like Katie who recently had this injection done and she's feeling stiff. Now you also want to determine you know, there's so many different exercises you can do, and there's there's multiple exercises you can do on one specific body part that's going to get the same um, outcome. But some a movement for me might not give you the proper execution for you. So what works for me doesn't actually always work for other people. And you, Dave, and I have done a few, but you, Dave, have done so many um, movements and, and exercises, strength, mobility, and and flexibility on the endurance hour YouTube channel. I'm also sharing some of those highlights in our Facebook group for people to get ideas and to learn that movement execution, because that's really important. The benefit of any, any program or any movement that you follow is executing it correctly and not just trying to get it done as fast as possible. You want to make sure you're engaging the proper muscle group that the movement is for, whether it's flexibility, mobility, or strength. So that's really important. I'm looking over the playlist that we have on the Endurance Hour YouTube channel and got a lot of playlists on here and to almost 3000 videos. It's been around. I've, been, I've had that channel for since 2010 or 11. Anyways, there's a playlist on TRX workouts for triathletes. There's some BOSU ball exercises, kettlebell exercises, uh, a number of workouts 
got a battle rope exercise, jump ropes. Looking for the one that, um, or the 30-30 club one too. And Peloton. Anyways, if you type in the exercise that you're looking for, there's a good chance that we did it. There was a few years back that I was going to the YMCA or I was going down to my own personal gym and creating these demonstration videos for a specific exercise. And we were creating some other programs for people to have this, this archive, this library of examples. I wasn't doing the entire workout. It was more like, hey, here's what it looks like. Here's the proper form. And here are some suggestions on how to do it. And then we would share those links with people who had the questions like they're asking of, hey, how do you use a stability ball? Why would I use a BOSU ball? How can I use this as an athlete uh, to work on my core? And that's where that TRX thing comes in too. And I, are you still certified or is that certification for TRX lifelong or do you have to read? Yeah, uh, I don't know if it's lifelong. I mean, I haven't gone, done any continuing education. I'm not quite sure. I got certified back in like 10 years ago, you know, 2011, mm -hmm. 2012, I started using a TRX in 2009 because of, I realized the missing component in my training was core functional strength training and especially mobility and core. So that's what got me into TRX and I'm back into TRX. I go in and out of using TRX as my primary mode of activity. Um, I own one, so it's easy for me to use at home as well as they have them at the gym I work out at. And, you know, just because I've been a personal trainer and have various certifications. I'm able to, you know, pick and choose. I know what my body needs at certain times of the year. So there's definitely phases of training in the, in the strength component of training, just like you follow with endurance training. So that's really important mm -hmm. to know. And if you're really unsure of really what to do, you're still, you haven't seeked out a local advice or you're still kind of uncertain what your weaknesses are. You know, pick a pick a, a squat, a hinge, a push, a pull, you know, target your a bicep and a tricep. So just really pick them uh, an exercises that's going to target all the major muscle groups. And then through that, you'll most likely might be able to find out your weaknesses or what you need to focus more on. And I just I think it's just really important if you're so new, just start with the basics. Don't try to do all these dynamic, high intensity movements just yet. Start small, start with the basics, give yourself, you know, four to six up to eight weeks to stick with a plan and, and, you know, keep with the same movement pattern. And then maybe over time, start to change the number of repetitions, the number of sets, the, the amount of rest that you get between sets or between movements. And then, you know, you'll start to feel and see progress. And then maybe you're going to add something that's more dynamic or add heavier or more jumping movements. So, I mean, like I said, there's just so many up, so many opportunities to do so many variety of things. It's just important to start small and, and grow. It's a life, it's a lifestyle. It's not something that you need to get done in eight weeks. I found the playlist and in the playlist, it has over 200 videos and um, it's called endurance hour workouts. I think it says with Dave Erickson and that's over 200 videos in there. All these examples, dumbbells, uh, side bends. I actually, I did one recently and I, I do this, I'm doing this now uh, a couple times a week, maybe three times a week. And it's very simple. I just take a kettlebell and I swing it around my waist. It seems like a simple idea. It's called kettlebell around the waist. It's real simple. It, it, there's a lot of things that it works on. If you hold your body strong, there's the, 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 the forearms, the, the grip, the shoulders, the, the core that you have to hold yourself in one spot. I just, I have a 45 that I use. 
I swing it, I swing it around, just real around my waist, alternating hands, 10 times one direction, switch around, switch around do 10 times the other direction and do that total 30 times. And that's all I do. I mean, in that example, and that's just a little something every day to work in the core in addition to some TRX things or mm-hmm. some resistance band assisted pull-ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know how challenging pull-ups are for a lot of people, women in particular. I'm surprised. I mean, that's something you were working on just a couple of years ago, right? Is to to achieve what was the goal of 10 pull-ups unassisted? One. One unassisted. One okay. unassisted. So I've been maintaining that, you know, and again, I, I, phase, I phase that type of goal challenge when I'm in my, you know, specific build p- phase for a certain race. Uh-huh. I don't cut out strength training, but... I phase out those attempts to do a pull-up and I get more in the maintenance stability mode. And then kind of in the off-season preparation phase that we're in now, we're done with the off-season, but we're kind of in pre-season. I start to go back to my focus of the how many pull-ups can I do? And now I can pretty much at any time do two, sometimes three from a hanging position but I have to keep up with it. It's not like I can take three months off of doing a pull-up and expect to do it again. I ha- it takes me a few weeks to kind of build up the form, technique, the strength, and to be able to do it. And so I'm back to it. It's really exciting that I didn't really lose lose it at all, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm working on my grip strength, and I'm just kind of doing different things because I like variety. But I've also been doing this for 20, 30 years. Not most people have. So my my workout and my intention and execution and goals are going to be different than yours. I have wrist straps that I bought at the local sports store. These mm-hmm. are what weightlifters will use. They put them around the wrist and then they can tie those uh, the rest of the strap around a dumbbell or a handle or like pull-up bar. Mm-hmm. I like the um, the resistance band assistance because when I used to lift a lot, you know, high school and early college for sports, you know, the football, the basketball and soccer stuff. Um, Range of motion in the uh, the exercise was very important to finish out the extension of something, whether it's squatting, going all the way down, and then coming all the way up, uh, the bench coming all the way down, extending all the way. Mm-hmm. And the pull-ups are very similar and necessary to get that full extension. You don't want to short arm something. You don't want to finish with the arms half bent. You want to try to go all the way up, chin over the bar if you can, and then all the way down and get a full range of motion. And I like the... Even though I can do some pull-ups unassisted, I'd rather be able to do 10 or 15 with the assistance versus eight struggled with no assistance because right. I'm getting more reps, I'm getting a good range of motion with the full body, and I just feel like I respond better, and it's the fuller exercise. Right, exactly. Execution so important and range of motion as well. I'm going to have to say this because I, I'm on a, a high with – one other thing that I've been doing since August, since before Ironman Arizona, and that is the cold plunging, the cold water immersion. Uh, I didn't really think about this as a streak, but this morning I did seven, this is my seventh morning in a row of starting my day off in my cold plunge at 50 degrees. And 50, I don't know, all depends on what everyone thinks. It may or may not be cold to you. It's tolerable, it's uncomfortable, but tolerable. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing that for seven days in a row, and I've been recording it putting it on the YouTube channel to share it because cold water has, I'm going to say, I don't want to be dra- drastic and dramatic and say it's changed my life. It has completely enhanced my overall well-being since mm-hmm. doing cold plunges back in August. And I did that 
in preparation for Ironman Arizona. I knew Ironman Arizona was going to be the sixth Ironman. I'm 50. I want to be recovered. I want to feel good. I want to minimize inflammation and get back at it. And I started doing that. It's like, oh my gosh, there's so many more benefits. And I don't know if it started with you talking about Wim Hof or that was part of it. That yeah. was, was some of the momentum of, let me look into this cold water stuff because people are doing it and very successful people are doing it. Millionaires, billionaires use this as part of their routine, their daily routine. Um, Tony Robbins, I came across, uh, I've heard him do talk about this before in the past. He goes 56 degrees. Ah, what a wimp. I can do 50. But he starts off with this cold water plunging in the morning, then some meditation afterwards, and it starts his day. It changes what he says, change your state, change your mm -hmm. state of mind, your nervous system gets jumped up, uh, your lymphatic, lymphatic, lymphatic system flushes through blood flow. It's, I've never felt better. Anyways, I've been sharing this and sharing some um, educational information about what I've learned. And it's, it's kind of a little blog in a way of my cold plunge diaries. Anyhow, uh, it's on the YouTube channel. I'm doing this on a daily basis, seven days in a row. I'm, I'm going to keep doing it and keep recording it because I love it. And there's a discount that anyone who wants to buy one, you can get 150 bucks off it. Nice. Not a bad deal. Dave 150 is the, is the discount code. And we include that in our newsletters that we send out on Mondays. So you, you send out two newsletters to our listeners and viewers. How's that work? Right. So on, on Fridays, I'll send out a recap of the podcast, some inspirational message or quote, and then usually some, some of the latest, greatest like research or data, or just kind of share a conversation I've had with an athlete that I know other athletes out there can relate to. And then on Mondays, we share a newsletter specifically with our partners discount codes and anything we pick up along the way. So sometimes I hear about things like tri, tri, tri bike transport that I know at a mm. lot of athletes use, but may not be connected to them. So I'll, I'll share that they have a discount code at various times of the year. And that's what we do on Mondays. One more question here as we wrap up uh, this podcast today, this is from Parker. I recently completed, this is a uh, two Ks last month. Mm -hmm. And interested in your thoughts, this is to Wendy, uh, about when I can be ready for a 50-mile trail, trail run. And 50K is at 31, 32 miles? Yeah. Okay. So they did two 30-mile races, runs. Now they're looking to ramp it up to 50-mile trail run. What's your thoughts on what it takes to get ready for for that? So again, it always depends. And he let, he shared with me his training leading up to these 50Ks, and his volume is very high. And so... Um, how you adapt and build up to an ultra event, whether it's a 50K, 50 miler or longer, really just depends on your previous experience, your time available to train and what your current training load is. So he, he definitely has the training volume needed for a 50 miler. I think the main thing to for him and my recommendation was how he leads up to this 50 miler really just depends on the elevation gain and loss. And so, you know, his particular 50 Ks had about three to 4,000 feet of gain and loss within 32 miles. And his current training load uh, will allow him to, he's ready for a 50 miler. He can do a 50 miler, but I wouldn't want him to necessarily choose a 50 miler with 15,000 feet of elevation gain or loss. 
unless he gives himself plenty of time to train for that. And again, I'm, this is totally based on my experience. That's what I did. I started big and now I'm reeling myself in and going a little bit smaller. And so training for a 50 miler with 15,000 feet of elevation gain, like the cruel jewel or the Georgia death race that I've done, both of those Mm -hmm. requires different types of training and terrain to successfully manage mental and physical aspects of both those races compared to doing a 50 mile trail race with three to 4,000 feet of gain that he's already put in during a 50 K. And so that's the main thing. You know, I think athletes who are, who are beginners, myself included, I used to choose ultras based on the challenge and I wanted that elevation gain. I wanted that extra challenge. And now that I've experienced that, I'm like, uh, I want, I want to go faster. And so in order to kind of go faster and finish faster, I'm now choosing, um, elevation gains that are much less than what I've done in the past, because that just changes your training. If you're someone who lives in flat land and you can only like Florida, and there's not that many places to do lots of elevation gain and loss, and you are a beginner, I would recommend picking an event that matches the terrain that you're able to train on. Do you recall the first time you went longer than a marathon? Yeah. Was it, it was, in a race or was it in training? It was in a race. I did my my longest race beyond a marathon was in 2011. I just finished Ironman Lake Placid, which I believe was the end of July at that point. That was my last race of the season. And I'm like, oh, I'm not ready to be done. Hmm. And a friend of mine who started Run Rabbit Run, 50 miler in Steamboat, he was the race director. So I said, hey, can can I get in your race? I never run on a, well, I did limited running on a trail, but I would say I never ran on a trail before. And I did his 50 miler. I went from the marathon to a 50 miler, no 50 K marathon to 50 miler. And it was quite the experience. I wrote a whole blog about it. (laughs) To do, to do it over again, would you make that leap or would you split the difference somehow? I'd split the difference somehow. I mean, for me, this was in 2011. My first Ironman was in 1997 and I had already done Mm. a dozen or so triathlons. So I had that endurance base. I didn't have the sports specificity and the elevation that, that steamboat provided. And so that's what killed me. It wasn't necessarily the 12 hour 50 miler, which I actually completed in 1140. It was the elevation gain and loss. I did not have any of that sports specificity. And that's what really did my legs in and really made me struggle. So um, the next year I did a 50K and then I did a 50 miler. And then I attempted my first 100, which I didn't finish. Mm. And then the third year of my ultra running experiences, I finished my first 100. So I definitely, because I'm kind of backtracking now, And I'm working more on speed so I can get faster at the 50K so I can then approach a 50 miler and be faster and more experienced with it and maybe in preparation for 100. I definitely think I would have wanted someone to reel me in and say, you should build, you should give yourself more than six weeks notice. To, hmm. to before you jump into a 50 mile race because it, it's nothing like an Ironman. <laughs> the way I approached it, I approached it with the mentality of an Ironman. The first 25 miles is going to be like riding 112 miles on the bike. It's going to take me about six hours. And the second 25 miles is going to be like running a marathon. I've done this. It's nothing like that. <laughs> it, it, it was just a, it was the only way I knew 
I, I didn't know yeah. anything else. There was back then there wasn't that much information. There was no coaching. There was nothing. And so I just had to adapt and I had to like use the knowledge I had about endurance 12 hour events, which was Ironman to get me through that 50 miler. And it was, you know, it's pretty, it was pretty miserable, but pretty spectacular that I did it in the first place. And I, I look back at how I did and I'm like, wow, I did so much better than I realized at the time. So when you did your 50 miler, you said you were under 12 hours. So is that a 1140 pace on average? Is that the straight up math? And you, tw- you did 11:40. I did my my time my finish time was 11 hour and 40 minutes. And I think I, I think the fact that I broke 12 hours uh-huh. when there was like 10,000 feet of elevation gain. Well, mm. yeah, I think in that race there was. I mean, that's amazing. Now that I know, now that I've experienced, I'm like that was pretty spectacular to kind of jump into that race with no trail running experience to still break 12 hours on that course. Again, I did much better than I realized at the time because at the time I was just like, wow, that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. That was misery. I'll never do it again. Two weeks later, oh, okay, I'll do 100 next year. Oh, it's a 14-minute pace. Yeah, 14-minute pace. So, um, you know, if if there wasn't that much elevation gain, I probably would have held an 11 or 12-minute pace. Yeah. Isn't ultra running, my first impression, my knee-jerk reaction, it's about survival. I mean, there's, it's not a race. It's like you're going the distance and how can you manage the time and uh-huh. the, 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 the beat down that you're taking over the course of that 50 or 100 miles. It's just survival, isn't it? It's survival, especially a hundred. I mean, except if you're the elite of the elite and this is your profession and you've been doing it for years, you don't run 50 miles. <laughs> you don't run a hundred miles. You yeah. hike up, you run down. But for me, running uphill is my strength. And so I didn't know that. I still ran. I mean, I, I tried to run uphill because I'm running uphill. This is fun. This is my strength. And and, and so it's been a definitely a huge learning curve along the way. And that's what draws me to the sport is I'm still learning. I'm still, I still consider myself a newbie because I did ultras in 11, 2011, 12, and 13. And then I stopped and then I moved to Georgia and I got back into trail running in Georgia, but it wasn't until 2019 that I said, okay, I'm going to do a 50K to see if ultras is the route I want to go. And then all races were canceled in 2020. So I started racing ultras again in 2021, as well as I was still doing Ironman. Yeah. And now I decided I don't want to do an Ironman. I just want to focus on the trail running. Not quite sure what distance that will lead me to, but we'll see based on my training. Wendy, the ultimate ultra athlete. It's so much fun. Yeah. Well, this has been a fun podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Wendy, thank you. And uh, for all the questions that were submitted and the topics discussed, uh, it's a good one. So this is uh, episode 387. As I'm looking at my notes, is that right? 387, yes. And check out uh, the links on... um, you can either go to endurancehour.com, get that newsletter so you can see uh, a recap of the podcast or a link to that with some other resources and articles and other that's chock full of information. And then you also get that Monday newsletter, which has all discount codes. So that's the place to go, endurancehour.com. Also, that's where you'll find the Training Peaks uh, links to our plans there. So take advantage of those programs at $99 or less uh, through the next couple of months. And we'll have more for you uh, coming up next week. Yeah, so for and- Coach Wendy Mater... Go ahead, Wendy. Sorry to interrupt. Well, I was going to say, um, 
leave us a review. You can leave us a review on, on YouTube if we post this podcast on YouTube and iTunes, because then it kind of helps us figure out what our strengths are and what our weaknesses are and how we can make the podcast better. Been going since January 2012, still going strong. Just like Timex takes a lick and keeps on ticking. Here we are moving forward. For Coach Wendy Mater, I'm Dave Erickson. Have a great week of training, racing, or recovery. See you back here next time. Adios. Adios. Mm-hmm.